Welcome to the Greenwood Forest Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Stacks, uh, and you are listening to episode three of the Theology of Inclusion. Um, Today we're going to be talking about racial and ethnic inclusion in the church. Um, And our context here at Greenwood Forest is that we are a historically white church, still a predominantly white church, um, but one in the um, progressive tradition. Um, and one that has been really thinking about what it means for us to be anti-racist and potentially to be multiracial, but in a way that doesn't maintain white supremacy. So that's where we are coming from when we approach this topic. But I also want to take a step back and just um, talk about the gospel imperative towards racial and ethnic inclusion for the whole church. Um, If you missed episodes one and two, I want to point you back there before you listen to this one, episode one. Um, was when we talked generally about uh, theology of inclusion. Um, In episode two, we talked about LGBTQ plus inclusion. Um, And today, we're going to hear from two of our congregants as well as um, from from me about this topic. Uh, I did an interview with Mr. Randy Palmer, who you'll hear later, and with uh, Kadisha Bonsu, um, both of whom I'm just going to let speak about this topic in their own words, in their own voice, um, at the end of the podcast. But before we get to those interviews, I wanted to give you all the biblical and the theological groundwork for pursuing racial and ethnic inclusion within the church. So why? Why should we strive for racial and ethnic inclusion? And my first answer to that is because it's biblical. It's the crux of the gospel. You can't get around the fact that the biblical vision of God's kingdom is multiracial. There's story after story after story that point us in this direction. Uh, The Tower of Babel story from Genesis 11, um, where God is concerned about uh, the people moving towards this kind of um, one language, one culture, um, monocultural empire type society And God scatters the people so that they will speak different languages and live in diversity and learn how to be together in that sense. Um, And then we have uh, great passages from the prophets like Isaiah 56, um, where the prophet says that God's house will be a house of prayer for all people, for foreigners, eunuchs, for all. Um, That idea is reinforced by Jesus in his ministry. Um, First, in his first sermon in in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus uh, tells uh, the people in the synagogue that, yes, he has come to proclaim good news to the poor, um, recovery of sight to the blind, delivery to the captives, um, but also that not just the poor and the captive and the blind within within Israel, but there were many widows in Israel at the time of Elijah, right? Um, So Jesus is already signaling that his ministry will be one that looks towards the outsider um, to welcome them in and to give them a place of belonging as well. And then the cleansing of the temple um, is a callback to that passage from Isaiah. My house will be a house of prayer for all people. Um, The Great Commission is another example. Go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, God's call and God's kingdom um, is not defined by national or ethnic boundaries. And then we have the great uh, story of Pentecost, which we discussed um, at length in episode one, 
Um, but that is the foundational vision for the church, Pentecost. And Pentecost is all about uh, the kingdom of God being one of diversity. Uh, I'll, I'll just point out once again about that passage in this context that it's very interesting that um, the Holy Spirit doesn't enable everyone who's there from all around the known world to understand the language the disciples are speaking. The Holy Spirit enables the disciples to speak in the languages of everyone who's there. Um, so the Holy Spirit doesn't erase uh, the diversity of the people there, but embraces it in that passage. And then we go on further in Acts to find the great story of Peter and Cornelius, uh, followed by Peter's discussion with um, uh, the leaders in the synagogue about Gentile inclusion. Um, what God has made clean, you shall not call unclean. Um, and we have further passages in the epistles that we can point to, um, such as when Paul calls Peter out for kind of taking a step back on Gentile inclusion in Galatians chapter 2. Um, and then we have uh, Ephesians 2, God has broken down the dividing wall, the hostility between us. And then, of course, the visions of um, heaven, uh, the visions of the resurrection we have in, in Revelation, including the great multitude from all tribes and all peoples and all languages. So throughout Scripture, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, we have... Um, this idea repeated that God cares about, God embraces uh, the ethnic and racial difference of the people whom God created, um, and that the church and the kingdom of God will be a reflection of God's diverse world. The second reason I want to give um, beyond uh, the scriptural backing for pursuing racial and ethnic inclusion is that I believe um, that it addresses the most pressing challenge to God's beloved community in our time. Um, that challenge being uh, racism and white supremacy. Uh, the thing that most threatens our ability to discover God's beloved community in our world today. I want to read a, uh, two quotes here. One from Jackie Lewis and John Janka from a book called The Pentecost Paradigm, which is fantastic. Um, and that uh, here's that quote. In a culture that has not yet overcome, we are convinced that our strongest defense against racism, the very best way to build immunity to the virulent racial tensions in our nation and address the widening racial, ethnic, and economic divide, is the development of multiracial, multicultural communities of faith. In radically welcoming communities of faith where everyone is welcome just as they come through the door, we can rehearse the reign and shalom of God here and now. And then this next quote is from a book called United by Faith um, by DeYoung, Emerson, Yancey, and Kim. And here's this quote. We believe that multiracial congregations are God's plan for responding to racism. We need people who not only speak truth to racism, but who can envision a future church where racism is no longer a defining characteristic of our faith. The spirit of the first century church can return to congregations in the United States during the 21st century. There is no better time for such a visitation of the spirit. I fully agree with these two perspectives that um, there is something deeply powerful and transformational 
about multiracial, multi-ethnic communities living together in shalom, embracing each other. And that is what I believe the church should be doing. I believe the church should be on the forefront um, of what it means to live together in peace, um, uh, embracing all of our difference. The church is supposed to be an outpost for the kingdom of God in this world. Jesus called us light, salt, a city on a hill. In 21st century America, we are certainly not experiencing God's desired racial shalom. Um, and that word, uh, if you don't know, um, really means more than just peace. It means healing, wholeness, peace, reparation. White supremacy is the greatest sin of the Western white church of the last 600 years. So in order for the church in the 21st century uh, to be fulfilling its mission, to be salt and light, it must enact God's racial shalom. It must repair this breach. Historically, white churches cannot be satisfied with tacitly reproducing and oftentimes undergirding our white supremacist culture. In order to really be repairers of the breach, we must eradicate whiteness and white supremacy from our churches. And all churches must be taking action to ensure that they are as inclusive as the gospel mandates they be. Now, um, those of you who are pay attention, paying attention have probably already raised an objection to this, and it's a good one. And that objection is, what about the black church? What about the brown church? What about those type of uniracial uni churches that have been a safe haven for people of color, a necessity, a defense against a culture that demeans their humanity and crushes their souls and threatens their lives? Would it not be dangerous for those churches to go away? as the places of affirmation that they are? And my answer to that is yes, it would be dangerous. And that is not what I'm saying. Um, we definitely do not want to envision a future where what is now the white church just subsumes black and brown churches into this um, kind of assimilationist environment. That is not at all what I'm arguing for here. Um, but what I would say is that the burden is on each congregation to move towards God's desired inclusivity and affirmation of every person's belovedness. Every church has to figure out what that means in their own context. For white Christians, disentangling yourself and your church from white supremacy is the supreme act of discipleship and the call of the gospel in our day and age. It should be done whether or not your church ever becomes multiracial. Here at Greenwood Forest, we are striving to reflect the beauty of our changing world, which means we are striving to become multiracial. Um, because in order to reflect the beauty of our changing world, we would have to be. Um, but the work, um, the means are just as important um, as the ends in this regard. We must do the work to disentangle ourselves from white supremacy. And if that's all we ever do, if we never become multiracial, truly multiracial, um, then we still will have been faithful for doing that work. Um, but we also uh, want to put voice, put words behind our desire to reflect God's kingdom. I want to let um, the great mystic and theologian Howard Thurman have another word on the topic of the black church. Um, Howard Thurman writes, the black church and the white church are under the same ethical imperative. They are both bound by the same commitment and no extenuating circumstance can at the last 
be used as a permanent alibi for not obeying that imperative. The black church can no longer sit in judgment on the exclusiveness of the white church and at the same time be content to regard itself as immune to the same searching judgment. The great black denominations are under the same command of God to grapple with the issue of inclusiveness as it affects their congregations. Black people have a rich and redemptive heritage which must not be lost in the effort to become an integrated religious fellowship. How to conserve the essential idiom that is kept alive in the spirit of black people, a courage and a vitality that has sustained that spirit in all its vicissitudes, and at the same time to bring into its fellowship more and more of those who are not black, until at the last, from both sides, there is a common meeting place in which there will be no black church and no white church, but the church of God. That is the task we all must work to finish. So I want to go on to kind of give, to hone in on one place in congregational life where, um, and each church will have to discern how to um, transform each area of its congregational life to move towards this vision. Um, but I want to hone in on worship because worship is often the, the you know, the sacred cow, so to speak, in congregational life, the, the thing that um, people most resist uh, changes coming to. Um, but it's also the place where a congregation can truly begin to embrace this vision and to enact what it would mean to become a multiracial community of faith. Um, it requires a new congregational culture. And that's something that's very difficult for some people to, um, to, to agree to, um, to embrace. Uh, the drive to become inclusive must permeate all aspects of our lives together. It is possible to be multiracial but maintain white supremacy. In fact, there's many studies that suggest that that's exactly what most of the multiracial congregations that exist now are doing. Um, they are multiracial on the surface, but in effect, they maintain power, um, concentrations of power and control in the hands of white people, um, and do not uh, much change their congregational culture to reflect the fact that they are multiracial. So, um, a few more quotes from you to talk about worship um, and how it should be impacted by this vision. This one is from uh, Justo Gonzalez from his book, For the Healing of the Nations. The multicultural vision is sweet, but there is also a bitter side to it. There is the bitter side of having to declare that the vision of many peoples, many tribes, many nations, and many languages involves much more than bringing a bit of color and folklore into our traditional worship services. It involves radical changes in the way we understand ourselves and in the way we run our business. And then again from United by Faith, it is vital to include elements of worship styles of the racial and ethnic groups a ministry hopes to reach. For example, if African-American Christians visit a predominantly white church that does not have any worship elements from their culture, they may not be certain that the members of that church want African-Americans in their congregation. And then from the Pentecost paradigm again, worship is one of the most powerful tools for community organizing available to a congregation. Music, art, preaching, and prayer can transform hearts and minds. We will not grow multiracial 
and multicultural communities with unimaginative worship that represents only one culture. So, given all that, I want to turn now to two interviews and let you hear the voices of um, two congregants within our church um, speaking to what it is like to be, um, both of these members are black, speaking to what it's like to be a black Christian in a predominantly white church, but also one um, that believes in God's inclusive vision and believes um, in the movement that Greenwood Forest uh, is making in that direction. So first we will hear from Kadisha Bonsu and then from Randy Palmer. So can you tell me who you are um, and what your relationship to Greenwood Forest is? Hi, everybody. I'm Kadisha, and um, I first came to Greenwood Forest as a minister on staff, minister to children. And um, yeah, that's how I first got to know GFBC, and I joined as a member. And even when I transitioned from my staff role, I decided to stick around um, because I love GFBC, and I believe in the vision and mission of our church. Great. Thank you. We really appreciate you coming on um, and talking to us uh about a topic that I know is, um, you know, you don't really have a choice but to, to think about and experience, but also that I know is, you know, near and dear to you. Um, so I know that Greenwood Forest is not the only predominantly white institution that you interact with as well. So can, um, can we just start with you just sharing general impressions about what it's like as a Black woman and um, to navigate white institutions that, uh, maybe are or are not actively working towards um, inclusion? Yeah, um, the best, it, it's kind of hard to, to summarize, but I think the first thing that I thought of is, it's like putting on a mask when you don't want to, but you feel that you have to in order to survive or to protect yourself. So people talk about code switching um, and code switching. Um, I'm not the best person to give a full definition on that, but. Um, you know, trans changing perhaps the language you use, the way that you speak, the way that you carry yourself, typically in settings where um, that are predominantly white or settings that are different than your own cultural um, background or um, your normal, your, your typical setting. Um, and so code switching is an example for me of um, putting that mask on. But I think the mask comes in a lot of other ways too. The mask can come in how I present myself. Um, it can come in how, you know, I carry myself or how I go about how I interact. Um, that is a really interesting thing for me to talk about though, because the the more mature that I have become and the more years of living that I have done in, in predominantly white spaces, I have become less and less invested and less and less interested in putting the mask on mm -hmm. because I think it's only but so long that a person can live under um, those conditions. Um, I mean, if we want to make it literal, not, so half of us don't like wearing our masks to protect ourselves from COVID, even though we should. Um, and we get tired of wearing those masks. Imagine the mask and the burden that you you feel or this false presentation of yourself that you might have to put on in order literally not because you're trying to be someone else but to survive mm, yeah yeah so honing in on church uh specifically um you don't have to you don't have to share any any of these if you don't want to but um i'm wondering if you have any specific stories or negative experiences of church 
um, with regard to this topic. Um, what maybe when church felt exclusive um, or uh, yeah, just, just an experience. Um, it, it could be in, it could be in a black church. It could be in a white church, honestly. Um, mm -hmm. But just a, a story that you would share that, you know, kind of gets at what it's like trying to navigate um, churches. Yeah. Well, I've been a part of many churches, um, and so I'm going to talk about my experiences as a conglomerate rather than singing, singling out any one particular church or one experience. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that in navigating, I'll start with um, what I view as more my, my first kind of setting in terms of church home or um, church experience, and that would be um, a Black church experience. Sometimes in my Black church experiences, I have felt isolated in terms of my theology. This is not true of every Black church, but um, in, in, in some churches, the patriarchy that I have experienced, um, as well as the theology around inclusion of women and folks of different genders, etc., can feel really exclusive. Um, it can sometimes feel, I have had experiences where I feel like certain gifts are welcomed over others. For example, as long as you're not leading, um, as long as you're not in the forefront leading and using gifts that they feel are reserved for the male senior pastor, then things are typically okay. Mm -hmm. And again, I speak for that as my experience of some spaces, not all spaces, right. um, because there are some really great um, Black church experiences out there. And some predominantly white churches that I have worshipped in, um, including GFBC, but not, not only GFBC, the thing that stands has always stood out the most to me is the worship experience. And this touches on for me a formative experience I had when I first came to North Carolina and it was like complete culture shock. Anyway, I'm from New Jersey, mm -hmm. um, you know, Jersey girl through and through, maybe a little less so now, but I still like to claim it. Um, and I remember visiting a church that in my mind, I thought it was going to be a Black church similar to the Baptist church that I was going to back home and it was not and I was totally in utter shock mm -hmm. and I found it to be exclusive not exclusive I, I don't even think I would use the word exclusive I think I would say that it was less accessible for me mm -hmm. because it wasn't so much that anyone was trying to push me out or deliberately um, being unwelcoming, but I think I, I think about it in terms of accessibility. Am I able to use my natural expressions and forms of worship in a way that gives me access to the God that we all say we love and serve? And so that may be in terms of, to be specific, in terms of music forms. It could be in terms of is embodied worship accepted and welcomed, but not just accepted and welcomed. Is it is it um, a part of the culture, right? Because even if it's accepted and welcome, which I'll speak from my experience at GFBC, I think embodied worship is accepted and welcomed at GFBC, but I don't think if you're looking to be joined for someone to join in with you on that, then it can feel really, really difficult because you're not going to really get that from most people based on their own experiences with church and their own cultural backgrounds and settings. Mm. So at, at most, you might get some folks hand clapping. And if that happens, like you might feel, I feel delighted when that happens, but maybe in terms of lifting my hands or moving my body in any other ways, it can feel very, very, it can feel like I'm using what is my God-given language in a place where the the, the 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 language is foreign or they don't understand the language that you use yeah. so it's almost like i want to speak the language of dance but you're telling me to 
you're telling me to speak something totally different and I don't know how to speak that language. I've learned how to speak the language because I've had to, but it's not really the language of my soul. It's not really mm -hmm. the language of my heart that gets me that the access to God that I, I, I love and that I want the most. Does that make sense? Yep, absolutely. Definitely yeah. does. Um, okay, so given all that, what, you know, we're, we're, we're right almost there, um, but uh, what do you think is important um, for a church when it's striving to be inclusive? Um, you know, what, what steps, what steps should it be taking, but also just what's the most important um, things to you uh, that, that generate that uh, an atmosphere where you, where it doesn't where your soul language doesn't feel foreign. Creating opportunities, so um, that that would be my simplest answer. Um, lifting up voices of marginalized folks, not in 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 many different spaces and ways. It could be um, at an event that is not um, a, exclusively a worship event, but. I think part of it has to be relational, getting to know people and knowing what well, what language does this person speak? What What's important to them? What kind of gets them going? And then inviting them to do just that in a worship space. So creating the opportunities. But I have to say, um, feet on the ground, something that has helped me and not just speaking about it in a like theoretical way, but my own experience. Um, I will say that I, I have been privileged in how I've been able to navigate um, GFBC and move um, in my embodiment as a Black woman um, because it wasn't always easy for me. But what happened was by virtue of being on staff, I got to know my ministers um, that I, you know, co-ministered with. But also I got to know y'all as friends, as people who truly are about what they say they are about. And so by virtue of getting to know you all outside of church, in church, and seeing your consistency with your values, and honestly just feeling a sense of like a loving presence and like, Kadisha, you really can be yourself. Mm -hmm. Even in moments where I was just like being the zippered up person, trying to be, you know, politically correct, be respectable, et cetera, et cetera. Like there would be moments where y'all would all be completely comfortable letting your hair down. And I'm just sitting there like, I'm gonna be quiet and present in the meeting this way because this is what you do when you're navigating a white space. Well, that didn't last very long because I got to see that y'all are very serious about what you do, but you also engage in serious play, which I think is just as important. And so I say that I was privileged because as I got to know y'all and be myself with y'all, y'all then encouraged me like to be to be myself in all ways so it could be when I was leading worship you might say I might come to y'all and say hey can I do xyz can I pray like this or do I have to use this part of the liturgy or that part of the liturgy and y'all would look at me like I was crazy partly <laughs> partly because you would be looking like well why are you asking me for permission to do the thing that we literally hired you to do like Nobody cares how you do it, just do the job, just be you. And so that was, I, I, I use this example a lot, but that was novel for me because I think sometimes people ask you to do things, but they want you to do it like this, do it like me, do it like us. And y'all truly weren't asking me to do that. Y'all were asking me to lead the way Kadisha would lead. Mm -hmm. And once I began testing that, it took a lot of courage seeing how the congregation would respond to that how they, how sometimes folks, and, and this is the part I think the congregation has to play. I talked about the role the leadership has to play, but I think the congregation was also very affirming. I'm not gonna say everybody was, but for the most part, 
many folks were, were affirming whether that came meant coming up to me after a service and saying it blessed me when you shared xyz in service or when you worked when you led us in this way or invited us to do this thing so i think there are many ways that we can express welcome and talk about hey when when i get to kadisha when i see you when you let your guard not just let your guard down because i think that that that's a matter of like survival and safety sometimes but when you let your authentic self um be present when you let your light shine as god has put it in kadisha wow that was that that really blessed me that allowed me um to engage with god in a different way and i want to be very clear that that engagement is not for their consumption or for their entertainment but rather how does it point you closer to a different variation of who you see the creator to be how do you then see the creator in me yeah yeah and what I'm thinking about as I hear you talk is that you are a very courageous person. Um, and you talked about the courage it takes to really, um, you know, to, to show that authentic self the first time or two until you realize it's going to be okay. But for me, what I want is for that is for that bar to be much lower, right? Uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because not everybody, you know, is going to do that. Um, but we want everybody to feel belonging, right? And to, and to, so, so lowering, one way to think about this is lowering the bar that it, of courage that it takes to be yourself. Yeah, um, that part. We don't want it to be an act of, to, to have to be an act of courage to be who you are, right? Yeah, um, so I'm sure you'll say more about this at some point, but I think that, that, that's really important and I almost missed that. So thank you for, for naming that. It, it shouldn't have to just be an act of courage or my work or other marginalized folks work to do. Um, I think what you're talking about is a culture shift, right? The ways that we worship being, not just that I, ha I should have to, like you said, meet the bar or the standard or assimilate, but that we've created a culture whereby folks can come in and see themselves represented. Um, not just literally, but represented in the liturgy, represented in the modes of worship, the, um, the language. And I think part of how churches can do that is start using the people that you have there already. And so even if sometimes I think people try to approach this by, oh, we're going to hire someone with X identity. Yeah. Okay, cool. You should be doing those things anyway. But that's not the answer because then that person will become a token. I think what you have to do is look to your congregation and your members and say, what gifts do we have present here? And not assume that those gifts are only um, present in people who look or present a certain way. Some of the folks who are marginalized, we need to amplify their voices more and invite them to do certain things. But sometimes those same gifts can be present in another person um, based on their life experiences, et cetera. Um, the last thing I would say and this is really a curiosity for me and more of like a, something I'm hoping that we might explore at some point as a congregation. But I believe like in the power of people's stories and people's testimonies. I mean, I guess that makes sense by virtue of what I do. Sure. But um, I would be very curious to have like a service of testimony woven in to the worship, our regular worship, mm -hmm. but also um, so I would be interested in how testimony gets woven into like regular worship, but also how it gets woven into that relational piece, because I believe that if you look, if you listen for people's stories and testimonies, you also by, 
by virtue of discovering and being curious, you discover their gifts as well. Like there are things about people that I'm still discovering, like literally was talking to someone that I thought I knew last mm -hmm. week. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know you do that. And they're like, yeah, I only, I only do it in this particular setting, but I've done it for, I've done it on occasion in a worship service or two. And so I think it's in conversations like that, when we're being relational, that you get to know what really makes a person get going and how they can use their gifts um, in service and then providing access to those marginalized um, folks and also gifts that maybe they don't, we don't typically see present. Yeah, totally. All right. Thank you so much, Kadisha. We really appreciate it um, and appreciate you and uh, appreciate your time. Thank you, Pastor Stephen. I appreciate being here. My name is Randy Palmer. I'm originally from uh, Arkansas, migrated here through the military back in 1989, and I've been here on the East Coast ever since. Uh, and my affiliated, my affiliation with Greenwood Forest Baptist Church is, uh, I, first of all, I'm, I'm an employee here, and, uh, and after being here for the past 17 years, um, within that time frame, I, I uh, saw a need to join this church, join this body. Uh, very good, diverse uh, community of faith, and I, I really feel right at home here. I said, because I believe in diversity on all fronts. And so this is basically who I am in a nutshell. Um, I'm a sibling of 13 children. Hmm. Uh, I'm a PK. My father was a pastor for uh, several years up, up until uh, his passing, his transitioning. And um, that's pretty much about the bulk of who I am. Right on. Okay, so can you tell me, you said you, you value um, diversity uh, in, in a community of faith. Can you tell me what it's like to, um, to look for, to come into um, a community of faith, especially um, as a black person coming into a predominantly white church? Um, can you tell me what the in your eyes, what the joys of that are, what the struggles of that are, um, if you would like to share any negative or positive experiences with that, um, what's it like? Well, well, I, I would like to uh, uh, rewind a little bit on, on, on my livelihood. Back in 1965, uh, uh, when I was eight years old, I was the first African-American student to break the racial barrier in my community in Arkansas, in the school district. Uh, there were five students uh, during that time after the, the, uh, the civil rights or uh, uh, law, uh, bill had been signed into law by President Johnson. Well, that opened the way for more, more di diversity in the school districts. Mm -hmm. Back then, I, uh, <laughs> being an eight-year-old, I didn't, I didn't realize what I was, what I was getting into. You know, uh, this is something my, my parents had had agreed to, and so. Um, it was pretty tough, mm. pretty tough uh, dealing with uh, people in, in a different uh, race setting, okay, but I, for a while I felt a little lonely back uh, during those times until I began to see more people like me mm. uh, to join me. 
and um, so so I have I, I have a little <laughs> a little uh, sense of being on what I call both sides of the track, so to speak, yeah. and racially, and a long history with long history with, with the, uh, absolutely, and so so the, coming into a diverse uh, a diverse uh, community of faith, uh, it's just like well, something that. I'm pretty much accustomed to. I've always been, always been one who had, had who had been uh, drawn to uh, multiculturalism, diversity in races, and uh, uh, operating in the area of civil rights. Great. Um, so, what what is it? What do you think it means for a church to be truly inclusive? Well, I I believe in. I believe in and and uh, reflecting upon how Jesus would see us mm. as a community of faith. Uh, we we all, we often talk about talk about uh, uh, what what Jesus would uh, would do in these times or in in any times and so forth. Uh, if we follow the pattern that that Jesus set, then we will understand that. Uh, our lives, if we're going to be a follower of him, we have to make sure that we, our lives reflect what he promoted. Mm -hmm. And that is humanity, a diversity, equality in all areas of life. Uh, in particular, in the, the church, the church community. So, regardless of whether you're, you're uh, whatever your, your racial uh, Ethnicity is um, uh, where where you come from, who you look like, uh, uh, who you choose to love. Mm -hmm. I believe Jesus uh, Jesus would, would smile on that. But uh, as we all know, that there are t there are difficult it's difficult times that we're in, and people have very you know many issues that uh, does not reflect what Jesus would want us to. Yeah, yeah. So I don't have to tell you that, you know, when you come into a predominantly white space, there is the um, there is the possibility uh, that you're going to experience um, uh, a range of things, all the way from what we have termed microaggressions to mm -hmm. outright, um, you know, racist yes. comments and experiences at times. So what what is it? Um, what is required in your mind for, um, as a response to that type of thing, for a church to really be on the on the track to be inclusive of other races, if it's well, a white church? Well, I, I would I would simply say that uh, the, the, what is required, if we are going to ever live as a as as as, as uh, in a diverse community and, and promoting equality on all fronts. Then we're gonna to have to un have to understand, try to get to understand the other person or the other culture. Yeah. Uh, we have to be willing to to say that okay, uh, it's not it's not just my way or the highway. I have to understand you as as a, as a white man and me as a black man uh, that we can walk we can walk side by side and we can stand together and and uh, promote. What, what the community should look like. And uh, so, so I've had some, as, as you know, I've had some uh, uh, issues myself uh, 
been been a part of this uh, this uh, predominantly white uh, community of faith, and but I viewed them as being as something to learn from going forward, and hope that the that the challenges that I've experienced, which was uh, given some uh, hard stares and uh, from 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 the uh, white white members, mm -hmm. if you will, and I've even been told that well, okay, uh, your amens and your praising praising God in such a way may not be may not be re as receptive in the general church because uh, that's not the way we do things here, mm. and so so that's. I, but but I uh, being uh, being that I've had a long history, as you stated, of uh, racial diversity since a child, I can adapt to yeah. what uh, you know what I'm faced with, and I and I see what's happening. Don't have to agree with it, but I understand what's what's happening. So what what empowered you to continue to be yourself and to worship authentically, even though you had you know, some experiences like you described where people tried to kind of get you to assimilate um, to mm -hmm. this is the way I think that mm -hmm. we do things here. Mm -hmm. um, what what allowed you to to reject that and to continue to be um, in a place like this and to be who you are? Well, one well, one thing, and I want to I want to you know give give credence to uh, ones like yourself who who give give me the give me the uh, the, the, the ability and the, 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 the will to want to just say, okay, we can overcome this together. Mm -hmm. we, can, we can boulder through this, this, uh, these, these racial issues uh, that other people may have. I don't have the, I don't have the issue. Right. So, it's, uh, so the issue, uh, <laughs> the burden of proof lies uh, within the other person who does. Mm -hmm. And so I, I can still stand tall uh, because I know who I, who I am. And that makes all the difference in the world. So it, you know, I, I don't, I don't uh, like to uh, address it in a very sarcastic or condescending way in any way. But at, uh, there are times when you have to just stand against it. Mm. You say stand up and speak out against it. Right. Calling out slash calling, calling in. Calling out. Calling out. And I, I really like the phrase calling in. Okay. Right. Um, instead of calling out, okay. because what the, what we're actually trying to do is call you in call, exactly. to the community. You, it's like the older brother and the prodigal son, right? right? right. Like you you're invited to the party too. All you uh -huh. have to do is get over your yes. um, your bias. Mm -hmm. uh, you mm -hmm. have to and allow other people to be who they are and exactly. to be here too, right? Exactly. Um, so it's we're calling you in. Calling you. In. <laughs> <laughs> We don't want your racism, but we do want you. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and, I, and I think also that I think also it is imperative uh, that we see things through the eyes of Jesus. That's the, the thing. You know, oftentimes we look look through other lenses of of, uh, of the you know the worldly system, uh, how you know whether it's political or what have you. But if we if we would just look through the the lenses. Of our Lord, and we will see something whole lot different than what we're just accustomed to. Yeah, yeah. The the theology, the 
the Imago Dei idea, the image of God idea, mm-hmm. right? It's, yeah, it's a really yeah. powerful one for racial inclusion right. that right. Um, God stamps God's image on right. on all people, and that we aren't called to uh, to assimilate or to erase our difference, but mm-hmm. to embrace it, embrace it. Um, because God's image is found uh, in our diversity, mm-hmm. right? Not not in spite of it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so let, let me ask one more question. Um, what uh, what does it mean? So you, I know you've noticed in the past few years here that we've moved more intentionally um, towards uh, representation of uh, of black theology, black mm-hmm. culture. Um, you know, down to the different types of music we've incorporated mm-hmm. into worship and the kind of um, I wonder if you can articulate what representation means um, as a person uh, of color in a predominantly white setting. Um, you know what? For instance, if you think about it in reverse, what does it what does it tell you if you go into a predominantly white setting and there's no um, acknowledgement or no attempt to represent uh, your um, your identity and your culture versus what it feels like to be in a place where um, there is an active mm. movement towards representation of, of difference yes. uh, and, and, you know, the different folks who are, who are here. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's one word, hope. Mm. And, and, that, and, and I, I state that simply because I, I just don't want to uh, uh, embrace the word, the term settle for. Yep. Uh, because I, I believe that when we can see beyond sight, then that's vision. Yeah. You can see a vision for the future, and you can see hope uh, that that actually, actually, actually fosters that vision. Mm-hmm. And that's say, so so I'm look I'm looking at and uh, looking at uncharted territory, so to speak, in that respect. Yeah, and just saying that well, okay, though it may not be appear to be diverse in this environment, right. Who's to say they cannot be? Right. So what what impact uh, if me as a black man and a believer and a follower of Christ also uh, what would I have on this environment? What could I have? What can I bring to the table? In other words, yeah. uh, if the opportunity presents itself. Yeah, and if, I I think I see our work right now as similarly to you, and you yes. tell me if I'm wrong. And that is that what we're doing right now is laying the foundation for the possibility mm-hmm. of a church that is truly diverse. Exactly. It's not there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but for instance, the, the, your recurring dream that I've heard about exactly. Uh, exactly. Exactly. is, is mine as well, which mm-hmm. is that, but, but before we can get to there and I'll, I'll let you tell what that dream is in a second. Okay. So that, so the listeners know what we're talking about, but, um, before we get there, we have to create a space where if, diverse folks come into it they mm-hmm. feel they belong here right um right. and you know otherwise uh what we definitely don't want to do is say well we want everybody you know who's different to come in here but you got to be like us now mm-hmm. like we're not going to change yeah. uh we just want you to come here um so that we feel like we're diverse that's not what we want right what we want is to is to truly create a place where all belong mm-hmm. which means that we have to um, we have to do that work whether the people are here yet or not, right. in hopes that mm-hmm. um, that 
we will create a place where people can belong who are all, all different types. So tell them about your dream and then we'll, we'll, we'll end with that. Okay, well thank you for allowing me this, uh, this opportunity to share that dream uh, you know, broadly. Uh, five years ago, uh, just, just uh, in the mid middle of the night, I get this dream of Greenwood Forest, and it's very clear, just as clear as I'm speaking to you all right now. I get this dream about, about Greenwood Forest being uh, impacted with a great influx of people on, from all walks of life, um, every pew being filled, wall-to-wall, wall-to-wall um, people sharing up, and it wasn't a funeral or, or a special event. <laughs> it was enough, it was a, 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 an everyday, uh, every week, every Sunday uh, gathering. I felt like the, the previous pastor, Dr. Ben Boswell, um, had to give up his seat just to have let another visitor, let another visitor sit down, sit down. Mm. And I thought that was very, hum, 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 uh, very uh, much humility on his part. Yeah. Uh, I saw where my wife, uh, Zelma and I would, we would normally come there and we can basically, you know, previously sit wherever we want to sit and, and so forth. But uh, this particular Sunday, this particular Sunday, we, as soon as we hit the campus, we looked and we saw a flood of vehicles overflowing the par parking lot. Mm. And we were wondering, what's going on? What's special going on today <laughs> that we didn't hear about? And then all of a sudden, I said, uh, we got into the, into the uh, uh, entrance of the sanctuary and we looked at people were all outside in the northeast. Like, well, we're still puzzled. <laughs> okay, what's going on? Never seen this before. And then, then, then we get inside, inside, and we had to pull up a, a seat from somewhere else in order to sit in the back. And we were rejoicing for what we saw. Mm. It was a mixture of, of cultures, races, ethnicities, and everybody from all walks of life in this congregation. Then, then we looked at we looked to the choir. And there was standing room only in the choir, a diverse mixture of people, mm. and 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 it was as if uh, the cloud of God has come down on this, has mounted on this church, mm. and the Spirit of God has overflown. And I'd never forget, and it, and I and I heard specifically in my spirit, what God told me, that this is going to happen at this church, mm. if only you believe. All right. I think that's a good good way to, to end. Brother brother Randy, thank you so much. We, uh, we appreciate it. Um, yes. We appreciate you. Um, thank and you. thank you for sharing. Absolutely. All right. That's all for today's episode. Thank you for joining me. I'm Stephen Stacks. And this is Greenwood Forest. Uh, join us next time as we talk about uh, disability inclusion. Thank you.